you're listening to the Casual Swinger Podcast. As your hosts, we need to warn you that the material you're about to hear may be sexual or explicit in nature. This podcast is intended for an adult audience. Now, we don't expect you to act like adults. What's the fun in that? We're a married couple living in Florida with over 13 years of experience in the lifestyle, and we take almost nothing seriously. Casual Swinger is a variety show, meaning we'll cover everything from music to events, travel, and even the occasional hilarious screw-up. Our show is about entertainment. We're not licensed professionals. Not anything. And our stories, commentary, and guidance should not be confused with the opinions of a licensed professional. Now that you know, let's take those pants off and get comfy. Welcome back to another episode of Casual Swinger. I'm your co-host, Mallory. You do that every time you you talk after the lead-in. You go, welcome back to Casual Swinger. Like well, everybody then, that listens, all two I people. Could, well, okay, if you're new around here, hi, nice to meet you. That's right. This is Mallory. She's your co-host. <laughs> hi, everybody. We have a great episode. I'm so excited for this one. Yeah, this one's a little different, right? I mean, this is definitely proof that our show is not just about sex. Yeah, it's a variety show. Now, we try to cover topics that kind of surround the lifestyle and at least our lives in general, right? Because drinking is definitely a hobby of ours and collecting fine bourbon and whiskeys. Yeah, I, well, and it's one of those things where I think whiskey has definitely exploded in this country and it's definitely become... Uh, just kind of a well I mean it harkens back to our culture right I mean my great-grandfather was a moonshiner Mm -hmm. and so I learned about whiskey and moonshine at a very young age and how to make it and like I watched the still I used to feed wood under the still because it was in the woods yeah that's cool and it's just like the so it's it's in my blood literally yeah so your story's way cooler than mine the first time I ever got drunk was off a wild turkey like 101 oh (laughs) same here actually when I got shit faced (laughs) I stole one of my dad's glasses of coke and poured wild turkey into it and filled it to the top and I because I just thought that and he actually smelled it when I walked past him (laughs) and made me drink it now my girlfriend and I we took it like a we poured a half glass like a I guess what it would be a standard rock glass and took it right to the face Choked on the fumes from it and then proceeded to get so drunk so quickly because obviously we hadn't drank before. And then my, my dad pretended like everything was fine. Like it, it were like you didn't smell like a distillery. Like, exactly. It, we watered down his bourbon. He never ever said anything, but he totally noticed. But we were so sick. He was like, that's probably about a shit. Remember when the kids guys. watered down your vodka and yes, because our kids freezer. are idiots, they didn't realize that if they put enough water in it, it would freeze. <laughs> yes. So we had frozen vodka and we're like, yeah, that's probably not all right. Oh my gosh. I totally forgot about that. God, our kids are retarded. Anyway. But hey, you know what? Before we go any deeper in this, I do have to catch up with you guys on one thing. Our last episode, which was called Mission Impossible, and it was yes. about dating as a single guy. I threw some advice out well, there. Well, as a, as a solo. As a solo, as a Husband, married guy. Yeah. Sorry, dating as a married guy solo. And I think uh, I threw some advice out there that a couple of people took the wrong way. Hope that didn't break your heart or anything. Oh, is it the stay in your league comment? Yeah, I'm not telling you to stay in your league like all I the time. I told you. I told you to get shit for that. I did. And it, it's okay. I mean, I think everybody was pretty cool about it. But what I'm really saying is for maximum success, stay in your league, right? It's if you find yourself striking out every time you go to bat, maybe the fastball's not for you, right? 
Yeah, and you know, double check your approach and your initiation and all these other things as well. Uh, yeah, and I'm sure there's going to be some differing viewpoints out there from some other podcasters, so check out what they've got to say. But you know what? Fuck that. Today's a new episode. This episode's called Whiskey Business. Mm-hmm. We even got a special photo shoot for you I guys. I know. I channeled my, my uh, um, oh God, what's his name? Tom Cruise, <laughs> Tom the little Cruise, short yeah. douchebag, the Scientologist. <laughs> yes, that one. <laughs> I tried to slide across their floor. It was yeah, great. I tell you what, the greatest line he ever said in a movie, Portia, there is no substitute. I don't know that's the greatest. It was his best work. That was the best he ever did. I, I don't know. I'm I'm still a bigger fan of cocktail, but. Ah, all right. That's pretty good. Speaking of too, cocktails, but. let's talk about whiskey. Oh, yeah, let's talk about whiskey. So Whiskey Business is the name of tonight's episode, and we've got a special guest coming up for you here in just a couple of minutes. She's a good friend of ours and has been for a long time. And she's the senior brand steward for the Southeast for Whistle Pig Whiskey. Yeah, even if you're not a whiskey fan, prepare to have your mind blown. The amount of knowledge that occupies this single human's brain never ceases to amaze me. Uh, it's absurd. And like, forget about like all the other things she's you know a, a scholar at. The whiskey alone. It's frustrating to be around her. <laughs> whiskey alone. I mean, it was it it was a learning experience for me as well. And we've been you know whiskey and bourbon fans now connoisseurs not sommeliers but yeah, yeah. well it's it, i don't know a lot of people that know much more about whiskey than i do but she's definitely one of them we're going to talk to her a little bit now of course who does she work for and what are we talking about we're talking about one of our favorite whiskeys of the last few years it's a brand that came on strong out of vermont back in 2015 yeah. a brand called whistle pig yeah. we're fortunate enough to be friends with one of the stewards of the brand for whistle pig and she is here in the great state of florida we call her Ingrid the Traveling Whiskey Fairy. That is actually her nickname and how she's known on social media. So yeah. she's joining us. It's going to be a lot of fun to talk all things whiskey, and we're going to ask her some uncomfortable questions that she probably won't answer, but we'll ask them anyway. You know, she did. A, I think she'll do a great job. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we already recorded it. Yeah, she did I know. Job, I was but. like, I wasn't sure where you're going. I was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll try to, to buy <laughs> into play that. Along. No, yeah, we already I don't do it. well. Uh, we, yeah, she definitely, yeah. Uh, there's a few of them. She's like, I can't talk about that. But let's talk about a couple of things you guys should know before the interview. First of all, Whistle Pig is best known for their rye whiskeys. For a spirit to call itself American rye, it's got to conform to a strict set of American legal requirements. For example, those rules are first the mash, and mash, just so you guys know, is that starchy, stinky soup that provides the sugars for fermentation for alcohol. All the bacteria farts. Uh-huh. Bacteria farts. That's what we're drinking. Has to be made up of at least 51% actual rye grain. The bill's remaining 49% usually winds up being a blend of corn, wheat, or malted barley. What about the second rule, Mallory? So the second rule, certified rye whiskey's initial booze content can't be any higher than 160 proof, roughly 80% alcohol by volume. Hot damn. Yeah, literally hot damn. That'll burn your lips off. <laughs> um, <laughs> after all that sweet, sweet liquor has been extracted from the fermented wort, it gets diluted down to no more than 125 proof or 62.5% alcohol by volume. Um, then the liquid gets piped into chard, meaning the insides burnt to a crisp. Um, and never used before, oak barrel, specifically oak. Um, and this is left untouched to age. And everyone's aging process is a little different, right? That's right. As well as their finishing process, if they have one. Which really is what turns alcohol into something else, is whatever finishing process it's, or aging it's process. It's Jesus mode. Right. Like water into wine? <laughs> Pretty much. Okay. It's when you go into straight up alchemy, but... So for straight rye whiskey, you're looking at a minimum of two years maturation, although many distilleries choose to let it sit around a little longer for a richer, more complex product. 
It's also important to note that straight rye cannot be blended with any other spirit during this process. Pure is pure. Stay in your lane. Oh, come on. You got to do that again. <laughs> so, Whiskopig whiskeys are often high rye mash bills. And that was really hard for me to say because it rhymed sequentially. Say it fast. Um, many of these being finished or blended, meaning that they buy it from food-grade industrial suppliers and put their stamp on it with a finish in a different barrel than they were aged in. Yeah, so whiskey finishing is a relatively modern practice, whereby a distiller transfers their whiskey from one type of cask into another. This secondary maturation process adds complexity to the whiskey, and depending on the type of cask, it can change the flavor pretty much remarkably. Yeah. A good example of that would Agreed. be the port cask finish in last month's Whiskey of the Month, which was Angel's Envy. Which happens to be one of my favorite finishes, port and sherry. That's right. So the most common type of casks used are sherry casks, which typically add rich notes of dried fruit and spices like cinnamon and nutmeg to your whiskey. Now, a great con that's a great contrast to vanilla and toffee notes from, you know, the ex-bourbon casks. Despite all of this, all manner of casks can and have been used to finish whiskey, including red wine, port, like we talked about a minute ago, cognac, rum, and sadly, even fish. Noodles. I can't even fucking, like, I need to wrap my head around Finishing your whiskey in a fish barrel. That's right, folks. Why, Coming soon from Casual Swinger, bass whiskey. And I'm going to rewind that even further. Why do we have fish in barrels? Like shooting fish in barrels, I've heard, but I didn't know that was actually a thing. Like it didn't occur to How me. How else are you supposed we, to shoot fish in a barrel I if you don't have any fish you know, in a barrel? I, I'm a little slow on the uptick, okay? I, I feel like it's important. All right. So a blended whiskey by American standards is a mixture of uh, containing no less than 20%, but up to 100% whiskey. Um, the rest... Uh, that can be made up from colorings and flavorings and, and neutral grain spirits. At Whistlepig, uh, this is different. However, all of their blends are either rye or straight rye whiskeys. All right. Now that you know, and if you watch G.I. Joe, you know that knowing is half the battle. That's the that's the little pre-class, the prerequisite for what's coming up with Ingrid at Whistlepig. We're going to get into the rest of this intro for you guys. Talk a little bit about this great Great weekend. Oh we my had gosh, last two weekend. two great weekends. Yeah. Since this past weekend we had a, a wonderful friend of ours that came to visit, right? Oh yeah. Love he's, that dude. He's amazing. He's the funniest, kindest, sweetest, uh just just a genuine good person. We and met him at Hito, and this dude and I hit it off like nobody's business. It is so entertaining being around the two of you. I'm not gonna lie. Like just the the, the banter and the candor. Yeah, yeah, there were people that went on the last Hito trip and we didn't go. And they were coming to breakfast going, this isn't the same. It's not the Mickey and I'm not going to out him with his name here, but it, it, you know, they were like, we were looking for this show and it's not here now and we can't have breakfast I'm, and laugh our asses I'm off. I'm just so sad we didn't consciously take the time to sit down and record just because of the dialogue and just the conversation. It would have been a three hour had. show about nothing. It would have been like the I Seinfeld of been, casual story. It would have been selfish on my part, but I, I would have loved every second of it. Well, that's cool. But he did come with us because we had a bunch of stuff going on that weekend. Our friends Slightly Sophisticated and, of course, the New With Tags podcast were in town for something they were doing at a local lifestyle club. So we got to have dinner with those guys, which yeah, was pretty cool. that was cool. wonderful. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. It was nice to see New With Tags. Haven't seen them it's since, what was minute. it, the phone party two years ago? Yeah, with Toledo. Euphoria? Holy Toledo. Right. Yeah. And, and you haven't been able to drag me back to Toledo since then. Yeah. And then we dropped in on some other friends who were celebrating a big 30th birthday. And, of course, Ooh, he had to yeah. give her some sweet new sex toys. Oh, yeah. She had a very dirty 30. Yeah, that pretty girl had a great time. She had a bunch of cool friends there. So glad they could invite us out. And uh, we were able to drop in 
uh, not only the day of her party, but <laughs> oh, this the day the before best. her party. This is the best. This is why I am the holder of the calendar, and I'm going to call you out right now. Oh, I can't so wait. Everybody, our, I'm an idiot. Our friend, the the sweetest, kindest man that I've ever known, come, comes down to visit, and we're like, we're going we're gonna to take you to this party. And you had let us know it was going to be Friday night. So Friday night comes. We have our presents wrapped. We're all dressed up. We show up, and the house is fucking dark. We're like, hmm, I wonder if the party has moved. Let's go see if we are early. So our dumbasses don't put two and two together. The house is dark. There's, there's only one car in the driveway. We, they, we know they have two. Yeah, and multiple we dogs parking. Up, we knock on the door. The dogs are losing their shit. We still stand there waiting for someone who obviously is not home to come answer the door. I'm going to skip to the punchline. You call the owner of the domicile and let him know that we're there. I want to know if the party's moved. Why are you at my house? <laughs> my bad. Uh, we were a day early. Yeah. The fantastic. party was Saturday, not Friday. Oh. You know what? In my defense, it was in a, like, no one could find it. I think there were other people that weren't exactly sure. No, there weren't. It was just me. <laughs> it was right? just you. Like, something like 18% of kids do but, it, okay? But we were so excited to see him. We showed up a day early. It was great. It, it it wasn't delicious. But, hey, what do we do this weekend? Because it's Saturday night, so the weekend's not over. But we've had some pretty cool stuff going on Oh, my gosh. It's already been a crazy weekend. So we um, were very uh, fortunate and glad to help sponsor a um, OnlyFans event. Yeah, an OnlyFans shoot weekend that was going yeah. on here in Orlando. And, I mean, there's some awesome OnlyFans creators here in Central Florida and we're so supportive of, of all of the sex-positive communities. And these girls working their asses off in literally. the OnlyFans scene. Uh, literally. I mean, busting their humps, creating cool content. If you guys saw what we saw there with, I mean, each each of them had individual setups, video setups, gimbals, battery packs, laptops. I mean, thousands of dollars a gear. Well, just the paperwork alone kind of kind of stunned me, the amount of uh, intention and, and it, the, it's really laborious too yeah. to make sure you have all your t's and c's in line i was really impressed at the this overall structure and um consent and every, everything they did so big thumbs up to them yeah so girls like kenzie fox uh sapphire cox uh savannah star or, uh -huh. i mean just like yeah, really paris, really paris yeah for yeah, night paris night yeah right so they, they were all there doing their shoots and they were super cool to us and they're joining uh, in a lot of their cases, I don't think Paris is doing it, but our casual creators program. So we're really excited about that. Uh, obviously, that program is how OnlyFans creators can earn money back on their wish lists. And they're just people that are kind of picking it up and really digging it. So we're really excited about that. But that was a lot of fun to go check those yeah, guys out. Yeah, a big shout out to Liberator and Motor Bunny. Absolutely. Again. Liberator and Motor Bunny both helped us put that party on for those guys. So really appreciate Liberator and Motor Bunny for that. And of course, we brought them some of our now famous unique condoms in Uber Lube, Yeah, that's, so. those are fun conversations, for sure. It really is. I love when I walk up to a group of guys and go, okay, how big are your dicks? Oh, it's the best. It is the best. Yeah, it's. I. They all look at me like, seriously, bro? Well, then they look at me and I was like, answer the man. <laughs> <laughs> it's It never gets old running up to a bunch of dudes you just met and going, let's talk about your dicks. Yeah. Uh, it's, it is what it is. And I also got to feel like a princess. You did. That was nice. You got a, you got us a room over the Bohemian, uh, which is located in a town called Celebration. And anyone who's not familiar Stepford. with Celebration, it's fucking, it's cute, but creepy. It is creepy. Like, I, I think Children of the Corn meets Stepford. A little bit. A little bit. It was, it was 
Nice though. So we get to take some sexy pictures. We did. We got some pretty sexy pictures, and I got you got me this new camera strap for Christmas, and yeah. I just got to bust it out and have got some your fun strap with on. It. <laughs> yeah, I got my strap on, but really, really enjoyed taking some of those photos. So you guys might see some of those on Twitter as we move forward. But hey, without further ado, let's dig into whiskey business, and then don't guys stick around because at the end today Ooh. we're going to have whiskey of the month. For January. Yes, and it's got a special prize in there, so don't don't miss it. Because prizes. yeah, we're about to give you a deal. Oh yeah. A deal, deal, deal. We got a deal for you. Hang around to the end for whiskey of the month and find out how you can save some money. Boot, boot. Mallory, you want to tell everybody how to find us? Do your thing. If you guys are still hanging out, <laughs> thanks. Um, you can find us as Casual Swinger everywhere. That's casualswinger.com. You can shoot us a message at podcast at casualswinger.com. If you'd like to say something nice about us, feel free to do that on iTunes as well. We are on social media. That's Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as the dating sites, Double Date Nation, SLS, SEC, and Cassidy. And Mickey's Penis at OnlyFans.com. Yes. Oh. Getting. No, there were no it. shots of my penis. We just went and hung out with those guys. But it was super fun. Hey, we'll be back in a hot second with Ingrid, the traveling whiskey fairy from Whistle Pig Whiskey. You're listening to Casual Swinging. Everybody, welcome back to Casual Swinger. This is still Mickey. And I'm Mallory. And we're getting down to whiskey business. We got a little guest here in our Casual Swinger studios in sunny, bright, and really toothless Orlando, Florida. So we'll get into that in here in a minute. <laughs> Why does that have to be toothless? Have you been to fucking Orlando? I've been to Orlando, yeah. All right. Well, okay. It's, yeah, it's pretty toothless, the meth capital of the universe and all. But hey, we're not going to talk about meth today. We're going to talk about whiskey. How about a trip down memory lane? Let's talk about a little flashback real quick back to 2007. A gentleman by the name of Raj Bakta bought a farm in Vermont back in 2007. And after a few years, they committed themselves to crafting the world's finest and most interesting rye whiskeys. With the help from the late great master distiller, Dave Pickerel, they discovered and purchased an incredible stock of 10-year-old blending whiskey in Canada that was being, in their words, profoundly misused. That initial stock is what kicked off what we know today as Whistle Pig Whiskey. So Whistle Pig's farm is more than 500 acres of honest-to-God operating farm, complete with maple trees for syrup, grain, animals, the whole nine. A farmer. <laughs> Yeehaw. Uh, their distillery is located in the 150-year-old dairy barn, distilling in a copper pot still designed by, again, the great Dave Pickerel. Yeah, pretty cool. That guy's got his thumbprints all over that business. So Dave Pickerel's known as the founding father of craft distilling. And dude is famous worldwide. Uh, as a matter of fact, over 14 years of fame he earned at Maker's Mark. I don't know anybody who hasn't heard of Maker's Mark. but So in over 14 years of Maker's Mark, he... You know, he founded his consulting business and consulted for a lot of major brands. I uh, can't name them all here. There's so many, as a matter of fact. But if you ask us, his crowning achievement is, in fact, Whistlepig. Dave passed away back in 2018, but he left behind a legacy of creativity and passion and quality that is evident in every sip of his amazing creations. And I think even more so in some of the relationships with those friends whose lives he touched in amazing ways. All right, guys, so tonight we have one of those very special people with us, someone lucky to have started uh, learning the whiskey business from the man himself and has done an amazing things here uh, growing Whistlepig in Florida. 
So let's welcome Senior Brand Steward of the Southeast and U.S. East Coast Brand Educator, Ingrid Rodriguez. Ooh, Ingrid, that's your cue. Say hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Hi, Mickey. Hi, Mallory. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, we're pretty excited. Oh, totally. Like jazz. I got a lot of fucking whistle pig in my bar. <laughs> Tell me that's not the first thing you noticed when you walked into the casual bar. First thing I noticed in every bar. But yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm grateful that you guys brought me to nice and boring Orlando. I appreciate yeah. that. And Thanks for you... having all your teeth. We appreciate that. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's right. Definitely, you didn't bring definitely. any meth, just some whistle pig. Well, unfortunately, yeah. just whistle pig, but that's just as addictive from what I've heard. Oh, very much. There's a reason it, it's front and center in our bar. Yeah. it's yeah. Uh, and Actually, my prized possession is that bottle. Uh, you know, of boss hog that you got signed for me. So I'm still very appreciative. It is. It's the cutest thing ever. People come to the house, he shows off the bar and then presents it as if it's his new child. <laughs> the, uh, Dave would appreciate that. He yeah. would definitely well, appreciate it. Right. And I mean, I have the the other, some of the other bottles that Dave's got his thumbprints on, right? Mm-hmm. Like the blackened and the Willet blackened and things like that. Even though his thumbprints aren't on the Willet bottle, it's, you know, it's kind of like I have to do it because, you know, he was involved in it. I won't drink it, but <laughs> <laughs> you can drink it. It's good. See, thank you. Story of my life. She says I can drink it. No, no, no. She said I can I drink heard it. it. I can drink it. <laughs> and this is what happens when <laughs> she wants to get into all of my good whiskey, Ingrid. This is what happens in my life. Count your blessings that you have your friends that are into your good whiskey because like that really counts. Um, except for, well, unless you're making some cocktails out of the really expensive stuff. Yeah, yeah that's a no-go here. I yes. keep the empty bottles and put shit whiskey in it. So when people come over, then they're like, oh, I'm going to make a good <laughs> well, whiskey. Well, now that you've told them that. I'm just kidding, everybody. I don't really do that. <laughs> anyway. Well, so I guess we kind of covered it, but how you been, lady? It's been a while. Uh, it's, it's been great. Whistle Pig has been keeping me busy, even through COVID. Um, got to work a lot off my couch, but uh, selling whiskey never seems to stop. And we learned during COVID that uh, a lot of people are alcoholics in the U.S. So <laughs> lots of us? alcohol. Um, but also, I guess people just had more money and they really like the socialization aspect of whiskey. So it's growing. It's not going anywhere. And Whistle Pig, for some reason, decided to make me the brand educator. So it shows uh, their faith in me and been good. I mean, Orlando's kind of a jump for me as well, so I'm glad I'm here. That's that's pretty wicked, and I personally blame Fox News and CNN for the whiskey consumption in America. <laughs> I think they're single-handedly responsible for it. Do. So yeah. All right, so let's start with an easy one here. Uh, tell us about your whistlepig journey as a whole. Um, how did you end up there? How long have you been there? So I have been with Whistlepig since 2016. Uh, formally, I became full time in 2017. I was actually handpicked by Dave Pickerel to work for the brand Uh, prior to that. And I still am a state certified general contractor in Florida. Um, I met him through my collaboration with the United States Bartenders Guild. And for some reason, this guy thought I would be great at selling whiskey. Uh, Up until Mm. that point, I was the no person at everything I did. Can I buy this? No. Can I do this? And no. But he was like, oh, you'd be great. Um, (laughs) Whistlepig decided along the line that I knew what I was talking about, even though I knew nothing. I learned everything while I was doing it. Smiled and waved and made sure it looked that way. Yeah, fake um, it till you make it, right? Hell yeah. Yeah. And now I'm, uh, I think I'm the fourth longest running employee at Whistlepig. I'm the historian. I'm like, they call me the dinosaur. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. That's great. That's better than the old lady. This is true. Right? Uh, they may call me that behind my back. I'm I not was, sure about that. I was going to say, I would dare them to say it to your face. I'd love to be there too. 
Well, and I think you have another nickname, a moniker you picked up along the way. I think we call you the traveling whiskey fairy. Is yeah. That um, long time ago when I first started working in whiskey, I always, of course, and I still do, always have purse whiskey. And one of my friends when I was in New York was like, oh, can you try that? And I was like, hold on. And I just pulled it out. And they're like, oh, my God, you're like the traveling whiskey fairy. You bring me presents. And it just stuck. So my Instagram handle and a lot of the things that I do, it's, it's what I go by. That is so much better than the hot sauce and Kleenex I have in mind. I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> so we I have the traveling hot sauce whiskey and fairy. By the, way, so. Fair. the hot sauce and Kleenex fairy right here in the Casual Swinger Studios. I got folks. your backs. Right. Not nearly as cool as Ingrid, but I got you. Beautiful cosmopolitan, really toothless. And we've got whiskey and hot sauce and Kleenex, just in case you got to blow your nose. But no, actually, I think I have one of your purse bottles on the shelf next to all my other bottles. Uh, you probably saw that. And then your purse maple syrup I had uh, out there as well. But tell what does a brand steward do? Right. So in, in just kind of in a, as a whole, what's your role? What's the purpose of a person like you in that business? So our role is primarily a sales function um, and uh, maybe a combination of sales and marketing. So my first and foremost focus is to make sure that bottles are moving in the state of Florida or throughout the U.S., and then after that, from a marketing perspective, is really kind of engaging with consumers and educating them on not just Whistlepig, but whiskey in general. Um, over the six years that I've been with Whistlepig, you've seen this expansion growth in the brown spirit and whiskey market, um, moving all the way from non-alcoholic whiskey to ready-to-drink cocktails. And there's a lot of real innovation that's going on. And our job is to make sure that we can move the consumers through those innovations and kind of challenge their palates and let them know, hey, we're still here. Um, I enjoy every part of it. I love distributor management and relationships, but my favorite thing is sitting in front of someone and having their eyes open when they're like, I don't like rye. And I was like, oh, challenge accepted. I got you. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. So how many in your uh, company as a whole, like how many of you are there? And does every brand have an Ingrid? <laughs> no. There's only one um, there's, so our brand has about 20 plus or minus two to three sales stewards in any p period of time. Okay. And they range from local market ones, like we have one that's strictly in Miami, to some people that cover parts of states and then people that cover multiple states, so the senior stewards. Um, and then, of course, we have our higher sales staff as well. But all in all, I mean, we've grown exponentially. Uh, we were about 67 people during COVID. We're about, the whole company as a whole is around 103 employees, again, plus or minus five um, personally, I would not want to be in Vermont, but we, our biggest staff is obviously in Vermont doing all the, the labeling, the distilling, the bottling and all that. Um, it's cold and, and snowy in Vermont. Yeah. Right. I think it was like negative 10 yesterday. <laughs> That's what I heard. Um, does every brand have one in some capacity? Yes. Um, okay. that would be my best answer to that. They don't all have the same roles. Some have like, roles that are just strictly education, some are just sales. And then, of course, we have distributor teams throughout the U.S. that also kind of mimic a lot of what we're doing on the sales side. That's awesome. Like the, the advocating, advocating and awareness part, it, it sounds almost too good to be true. Like <laughs> as much as we love whiskey in this house, like how awesome would that be? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, it's probably the coolest job that I never knew you could get. Oh, right, right. That's the job I would yeah. have gone after, I oh. think. If like, I had known this job existed in sixth grade, I would have saved 120000 oh, on yes. an engineering degree. Right? Like, you would be, be schlepping concrete. <laughs> also, how cool would the great American teacher have been in? Like, if all of a sudden there was someone there whose parents sold whiskey, psh, oh. people are like, I'm cool staying here for 24 hours. That works. Well, just That's the best parent-teacher conference ever when you just bring <laughs> the, the teacher a bottle of whiskey and go, look, hey. my kid's fine, right? Yeah, let's get <laughs> fucked up. So we talked a little bit about the history of Whistlepig, you know, as we kind of did the lead in for this segment, but I'm curious 
and especially well because you're probably better at telling the story than I am. I think that's a safe bet. Tell us a little bit about the piggy and you know, kind of the lineup. Is you know, let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, so Whistlepig's made up of a bunch of different marks now, or as we call them, SKUs. Obviously, the first and foremost, and our flagship that everybody knows about, uh, would have been Whistlepig Ten Year, which is Ten Year Hundred uh, Proof Whiskey. Then from there, we have what we consider our finished and blended side, and then our straight rye. So our high rye straight rye whiskeys would be piggyback six year, 15 year, which is a 100% rye that's double barrel aged. Um, And then we move into kind of our innovation lines, which would have started with Whistle Pig 12 year as a blend of finishes. We then have the Farm Stock series, which includes our Beyond Bonded. Um, And then on top of that, obviously the Boss Hog, which everyone knows about, and our 18 year just launched a few years ago. Um, on top of it, Whistlepig has finally decided that we want to be the best premium whiskey brand on the planet. So we uh, last year launched an Irish whiskey as well. You guys are not slowing down for anything, are you? No, it's only growth for us. <laughs> only growth, only go. All right. Well, how about, so I'm going to focus on one because, again, my prized possession is a bottle of Boss Hog. And it's the, I think it's the second series of Boss Hog, which is the Black Prince. It's the second series of the Black Prince. So it's second Boss Hog 4. Mm-hmm. Okay, Boss Hog 4. So tell us a little bit about that flagship product and like how often is it released? Is it, is it always different? I mean, take, that one does, like you said, you had 10 year, 12 year, 15 year. They're always the same. Every time I look at them for the most part, I mean, sometimes some label changes. What's special about this $500 bottle of whiskey? Uh, one, it's $500. <laughs> um, okay, that's fair. So, in all fairness, um, Boss Hog started as a fluke. It started uh, way back when, when we found out we had some barrels that were sitting there that were in the 130s, and we decided, let's release them. Um, long time ago, someone had told Dave that Americans would never go back to drinking rye whiskey. Uh, it was too bitey, it was too spicy, the American palate had gotten very sweet. And uh, Dave decided, well, let's let's release this. This is this is clearly going to be something that if people don't like it. This is going to let us know whether rye whiskey has a liver or not. It was 130 to 136 proof, 100% straight rye. You couldn't get more rye than that. And uh, we we're like, cool, let's put a label on it and send it out. And that was the original Boss Hog, the first one. Highly popular. Did not cost anywhere near $500 though. I mean, now. I think one just sold for about $11,000, but uh, back then- I'm really jealous now. (laughs) They're really hard to find and collectors are constantly asking me for them. Uh, Me personally, I don't have one. I didn't work for the brand at the time. Um, I started on Boss Hog 3, which was the independent. But then after that, we found out that we had something that wasn't being done in the Whistlepig story. And going back to what I was saying, Whistlepig likes to be very innovative. We like to be rebellious in the space of whiskey and kind of change the way that people think that whiskey should be. Being a rye already permits us a lot more innovation. So Boss Hog has some certain rules that have to go behind it. The first the first rule is that it has to be something that Whistlepig has never done before. So if we've done a finish of something, then it has to be triple barreled. If it's uh, something that has come out, we have to modify that in some way. And we have a really good finishing team up at the farm that plays with that. Uh, It also has to be stupendous. It has to be the best thing that we put out that year. Has to come out at cask strength or barrel proof, which I know we're going to be talking about later. Um, And that can range. We've had them range from 104 all the way up to 127, minus that first one that was all in the 130s. And it has to make sure that it's very complex. When you taste it and we talk about tasting notes, you can actually kind of go through what we're saying. And it's, it's something that challenges your palate and makes you wonder, am I drinking a whiskey? Am I drinking a rum? Am I drinking an Armagnac or a Calvados? And like, how does that all mesh together? And then from the final part of it, it's a story 
story. It's telling a big part of the Whistlepig story at that time, who our blender was, who our distiller was, and who was part of the team. Wow. That's amazing. There's a lot to that. I know. I know I can absolutely see why uh, you're the, the ambassador steward and educator on top of it all, because I'm, I just drank the Kool-Aid and I already liked Whistlepig. So I'm pretty I'm good sold. at this shit and I had I'm to keep in. up, right? I'm like, so okay. with knowing all that and you, you were talking about Boss Hog, I mean, it's going to be like picking your favorite child, but I have to ask you which one you're, is your favorite because you're, you're lucky. You're so fucking lucky. You get to try all of these wonderful, you know, concoctions and blends and iterations of it. So, so what's yours? Uh, so my favorite boss hog is uh, boss hog six, which okay. was called the samurai scientist. And the reason for that is that uh, I have a background in industrial engineering and I really love kind of nerdy stuff. And samurai scientist was a dual Koji fermentation process with us and Japan. And it really helped uh, when you think about the process and you think about the double blending into it and the finishing and how many steps it took to got, get there. And also the fact that all Boss Hog 6 have different flavor profiles at the start, and you wouldn't know that unless you understood the process. It got me, my nerd went up, and I was like, this is my favorite whiskey. Um, I also <laughs> like that occasionally you would find them when that would tasted like savory bacon, and there's just something about drinking whiskey and having this bacon finish and thinking about smoking a cigar or sitting by a fireplace and a barbecue, and it really kind of warms you up and fills you in. Um, but all of Boss Hogs are really good. It really depends on your flavor pile. So like- I would hope so at that price point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you'd be, a lot of people don't ever open their bottles. That's true. Guilty. Um, Mickey. Yeah. What? Um, it's a $500 fucking bottle. And it's signed by Dave. I'm not well, opening it. Well, yours is signed. But luckily, most people, if you know me and you see me, I probably have it on me when it's released. Um, Boss Hog 8 that just came out, for instance, is finished in two different rum casks. So if you really like rum, then this is going to be your favorite. But for some people who really, let's say like last year was Ambarana and Spanish Oak, if you really like cinnamon, you're really going to like Boss Hog 7. So a lot of the times you have very visceral reactions of whether they like it or not, but that's all personal palate. Yeah. So in the the traditional uh, set, do you have a favorite in there? Piggyback 15 is my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> I don't make any bones about it. They all know 15 years is my favorite piggy. Yeah? Yeah. All right. I'm going to, yeah. That's I get it. I, and I have all of them pretty much. I mean, I don't have all the boss hogs just yeah. because, and you know, I you started I, late. <laughs> I did start late, but I have, I have a significant collection mm -hmm. of boss hog or of whistle pig rather. Uh, but I, I was going to ask you why it's so expensive, but I think I can answer my own question. So Dave was a chemical engineer. Yes. And both of your master distillers today are chemical engineers. Yes. I, why in the fuck are all these engineers making whiskey? Uh, it's a choice between lipstick or whiskey. I'm going whiskey. <laughs> okay, I guess that makes sense. Word. You can you can create the newest tampon, or you can create whiskey. Okay, I get it. Yeah, the, the, that guy. The logic behind it is when you're when you're a chemical engineer, and when I started school, I was you, you're when you come out, you're actually looking at working in like palm olive or working in some sort of detergent or something like that, or makeup or trying to figure that out, or they move you into whiskey to figure out mash bills and the science behind that. So what you started seeing in the late '90s and early 2000s were a lot of programmings were focusing on more of the liquid side of the world than they were on the cosmetic side of the world. Yeah. I mean, does that contribute when you have that level of brain trust really concocting these formulas that you guys are making? Is that, is that why these are, I mean, not all whistle pigs, 500 bucks. Obviously you guys do have bottles that are 50 bucks, but is that why, is that why these bottles are so expensive? Is it the amount of time that it takes? Is it the effort and the finish? Where does that come from? 
Uh, well, in all fairness, the, a lot of it comes from the time in the bottle. It, the, the most important part of the chemical engineer's job is to create the mash bill and stick that in the barrel. The barrel does all the work. Um, and I always say to people, like, 20 years ago, nobody was thinking that we were going to have this whiskey revolution that we have today. And you, you can't age whiskey faster and you can't grow trees faster. So there's really just a whole process. If you have an age statement of 10 years... You need to have at least 10 years aged. So you see what's going on now. It's that, that expense of holding it, the production time behind it, the figuring out of the science, the marketing, the bringing it to stuff, clearing the federal TTB to get your label ready. There's a lot of nuances that go into the back end of it. And because Boss Hog is released the way it is, we have to make sure that it, uh, that it definitely gets there. But at the other point of it is it's going to be the rarest whiskey of that year for Whistlepig. And there's not a lot of it. So quantity and stock will often drive those prices. You just mentioned an acronym. So I want to make sure our listeners know what that is. What is the TTB? And what is their role? So it's the Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau. They're responsible for all the labeling of whiskey bottles. So there are certain laws and rules and marketing that have to come out to protect the consumers. And we have to pass everything through them in order to get that label authorized. So there is a cost and a time that, that's involved in that. Awesome. Gotcha. So we've had a lot of conversations lately about whiskey, especially with our new segment that uh, we just started, and and people are really getting into it. So how is the whiskey business these days overall? Is it really the number one spirit in America? I wish it was the number one spirit in America. It feels that way. It really does. It really does. Especially when you live in that space. You're like, yeah, whiskey. Uh, Vodka is still the number one spirit in the U.S. uh, and probably the world. Uh, Actually, I think Soju might be. Fucking Russians. (laughs) (laughs) No, Uh, I'm just kidding. No, but vodka is great. I call it the soy of the spirit world. It tastes like whatever you put in it. Yes, exactly. It's very diverse in its ability to adapt to a lot of different things everything tastes like my finger and i put it, my finger it tastes in it. the same way coming up as it does going down I'll it depends give on what's on your finger good point Ew. <laughs> it is casual swinger after all um do i want it i wish it was the number one spirit it's not going anywhere though the the revolution in whiskey for the time being uh, only sees growth and part of that has uh, to do with a lot of the brands that are entering into the market and a lot more of that innovation that's occurring because even you have the big guys like the jim beans and and the uh the jack daniels of the world that are starting to innovate within that space as well I absolutely love that because it, it gives me the opportunity as a consumer to have people compete for for my taste, my palate, my money. So I love the diversity and the availability of all these different types of brands as well that I can go out there and try. Like in my travels, I travel mm-hmm. a lot for my vanilla job. So it, it's an opportunity for me to go, okay, I'm going to invest and at least give this one a try and see how it compares to my known quantities. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's a little fun. Oh, it's fun for everyone. It's, and also at Whistlepig, we drink our mistakes. Uh, I would love to say that everything that Whistlepig makes is fantastic, but every once in a while, it's fantastic enough for us at the farm, and we just drink it at the farm and never get to release it. But either which way, whenever you're in that, it, it playing with something that has tradition, you have to be cautious. But now that we have all these other brands that are competing for that same space, it really is the best thing for the consumer. So anything in the palate, it's kind of like if you if people say I don't like whiskey, unless you're allergic to brown spirits, which is another story, um, unless you just don't like them, in all fairness, you just haven't tried the whiskey that is for you yet. Fair enough. Yeah, you know, I feel so much better now because I've been drinking my feelings since I could start drinking, which was more or less like nine so I feel like drinking your mistakes, I do that too. So it's okay. You made it all right. The Traveling Whiskey Fairy says, drink your mistakes, folks. Uh, a couple of ex-wives, some ex-girlfriends. Yeah, okay, I'm just drinking them all. Uh, wow, anyway. apparently you have great taste in women. Hey, you're one of them. <laughs> Pointing that shit out. I'm still here. All right, so, you know, the Bourbon Nation group that I'm a part of on Facebook has more than yeah. 90,000 users. 
And the local whiskey societies are just slam-ass full of human beings. Tampa Bay Whiskey Society, the Orlando Whiskey Society, they're all over the place. Not to mention the rise of craft cocktail bars all over this country. You can't swing a dead cat without hitting one around Orlando. They're all over the place. Sorry, I know you're a cat person. I'm not. Three Rottweilers outside told you all about it, right? But uh, I want to know, what's driving the whiskey craze? Because it's fucking nuts. I know you said it's not the one number one spirit, spirit, but I really don't understand what the reasoning is behind it. Do you see it slowing down anytime soon? I mean, there's some bottles that if you find them at retail, it's like finding a legit unicorn in the wild and not the kind of unicorn we normally talk about. <laughs> um, it's not slowing down. It, it, it seems to be going a little bit more crazy only because again, going back to that innovation start, you have new brands entering the market that are putting out very premium quality products. They're all coming into like different niches, like for instance, black in like with the Metallica tie in. So you're starting to see a lot more, um, people trying to get new things out. So it's not going anywhere yet. There's ton, There's tons of whiskey coming out soon. Um, as for what started it, it's actually the opposite way. The cocktail scene created the whiskey market. So the craft cocktail scene that started in the mid or early 2000s and going into when Whistlepig launched, that was when you started bringing back those traditional prohibition cocktails. Um, other than that, like nobody was really drinking whiskey in the 90s and even early 2000. But when you started seeing the craft cocktail scene come up and you started hearing old fashioned Manhattan, Bucare, Boulevardier, then they needed good whiskey to make those cocktails. And because of that, most people who are getting introduced to whiskey are getting introduced to whiskey through the cocktail and then moving backwards into more of that neat or just rocks pour. Um, if it goes the other way, it's because maybe your family collects it or your friends collect it or suddenly, like we're saying, at 21, everyone wants to get the bottle that matches their year. Like That's driving a lot of it moving forward. That's just insane. So you mentioned uh, the blackened bottle that I talked about earlier mm -hmm. in the show. And it kind of reminded me of something because Whistlepig doesn't really do gimmicky shit. Uh, you guys, I mean, you have your your neat things that you do and obviously with Boss Hog and things like that. But, I mean, speaking of gimmicky shit, what I'm talking about is, you know, Jefferson's Ocean, for example, those guys, and, and I can say this, you can't, uh, you know, they, they take their barrels out in the fucking ocean and float them around and somehow that's supposed to age it faster. And Blackened, they play Metallica at the barrels and that's supposed to age it faster. Is that all a crock of shit? Is that the gimmick that it sounds like, or does it actually work? Oh, I don't know if it doesn't work or does work. I mean, Whistleblick did have road stock this year where we okay. aged whiskey on the road. Um, right, so you guys did it too. <laughs> we did it too. But but again, a lot of it has to do, the barrel does all the work. So if they believe putting it on a boat changes it, or if they believe running sound waves through it changes it, more power to them. I mean, the science is, an un is unclear on that. I will say that, I, you know, I spoke to Dave when Blacken was first being released, and he thought it was just super cool. It's Metallica. Yeah, it's cool. and it's also super cool to know, just think about it, if, if your favorite song is being played while you're drinking that whiskey, there's just this sense of um, camaraderie and this, this beingness in people because people are really close. Like, whiskey is about stories, and it's about how it makes you feel and what you're doing in that moment. So if you can capture a consumer's idea of what they see themselves at, then it works out well. So like our roadstock whiskey that we put out, which is, it was finished in both wine barrels and beer barrels. We captured a market that we had never actually seen before. And it was innovative. It was new. It was very Americana. And it was just something like Route 66. And we had a Hellcat and we have all this stuff. And it really kind of captures into that sense of who people think they are. I love that. No, I'm, I would, I'm absolutely that consumer that would be drawn to something that would inspire me to at least attempt it. The, the connection to the black end, you know, maybe Metallica is my favorite band or, or something else, you know, the Jefferson's oceans, a, it's 
a great one too. We tried that. Not my favorite. I'm just going to throw that I out didn't there. like it, it at was all. Just, I'm going to be the uh, one to say it. it. Just, I have a different palate. It just wasn't for me. Yeah, I don't drink um, out of the toilet either. Yeah, but... <laughs> They Are you kidding me? Multiple Did you really? Jefferson Oceans, by the way. Do they really? Okay. <laughs> so you're saying maybe maybe it's me. Maybe you just haven't tried one. You don't. You don't like it. Okay. <laughs> and did you really have to tell people that you don't drink out of the toilet? Like I think that just goes without saying. I don't know. Some people think pretty poorly of me. Have you read our reviews? <laughs> so, uh, my question for you, because you're so immersed in this this culture in this field, is why are some of these bottles so hard to get? And I'll just paint a picture. Like way way back in the day. We drank Blanton's like it was water, like it was going out of style. And it was it's a wonderful bourbon. And the price point was great. And now it's like one of the, the hardest bottles to get. And, I mean, do some of these brands deliberately create scarcity? Is it real? You know, how it, it just feels like maybe there's you know, someone, you know, the man behind the curtain, you know, and he's laughing his ass off at me because I can't find, you know, my my favorite bourbon from five years ago. I can't talk for the other brands. Okay. Um, I can tell you that uh, a lot of times for like Whistlepig scarcity is just based on product and on right. unavailability. There are a lot of brands, going back to what I said earlier, is people didn't think that whiskey was going to be where it is. So if somebody likes a 20 plus year whiskey, you have to imagine that 20 years ago, somebody put those barrels down and was like, we're going to hold on to this for this long and maybe people are going to like yeah, this. That's a long commitment. It is. And yeah. that, and then the storing of it and all that really requires a lot of time. Um, a lot of the frenzy too, is just that there's, they can't make whiskey fast enough to cover all the people that are interested in getting it. That's fair. So even if you have one of the major distilleries, well, and Blanton's, of course, being one of the best ones because it, because it's single barrel and because they have to put it out there and people have specific born on dates that they're mm -hmm. looking for. You you just have this need. If you can only make 200 to 300 bottles of that, where do they go and who gets them? And that's kind of what's driving it. And it drives it across the U.S. and internationally as well. Um also, trees, you know, in, in the U.S. to make a bourbon or a whiskey, you have to use the American oak. And American wow. oak trees only grow so fast. And if you start running into a scarcity of that, then it pulls back the barrels and it pulls back the ability to do it. So there's so much the backstory of that, getting that whiskey to that shelf so you can buy is what creates a lot of this. Anytime you have a production or a delay in anything, it creates more of that scarcity. I would have never thought to associate the, the demand for the wood that's needed to create the barrels and assign that to that. So that's a, that's an excellent point. Like, I, I love being educated. Over I just want to point out that Mallory just said there's a demand for wood in this country. Yeah. Well, amen. <laughs> Couldn't let that one go. You mentioned a couple of things in there, Ingrid, that I think were pretty... It's Scarcity is driving a lot of the secondary whiskey market, but not necessarily what people's palates or tastes go for unless they're just trying to resell it on the secondary market, which I think really sucks you're not going to, you know, save it for your collection or drink it. You should probably leave it for somebody that's going to. But that's just my personal opinion on it. But you you did mention, you know, that there are a lot of factors that go into it. You know, obviously supply and demand. Obviously there's there's time. Do you think that that time to market, I mean, I remember a couple of years ago, Maker's Mark, for example, reduced the proof of their whiskey, uh, added more water to their whiskey. Basically, that's how you do that. And by doing so, they really pissed off their followers. People were very angry, but they had to because they were selling more whiskey than they could get out of their Rick houses. So do you think that's what's driving some of the boutique shit people are doing, like playing music at barrels to make them age faster or driving them up the road or taking them out in the ocean? I mean, is that just to get it out to the market faster? 
Well, I don't know if it actually gets it to the market faster per se, because a lot of them still have age statements. But I will say that it gives people, it gives a consumer something else to do, especially if they think about the big houses. If they have multiple different types of brand under the house, then maybe they can focus more on one brand that they have quantity of versus not. Um, obviously, watering down a barrel is going to give you more bottles, um, but it does change the flavor profile. So one of the reasons people got so upset back then when Maker's Mark did that was that those who are very loyal to the Maker's Mark flavor, which is a lot of people... Uh, when you added water to it, it changed the way that they were used to drinking their whiskey. And it goes, when I said that whiskey has a very, very common feeling towards people, people have memories behind it. When you change their memory, you're changing their life. So we've talked about some things here and we really haven't defined them. So I want to dig in a little bit because whiskey is confusing for newbies. I've, you know, ever since we started the whiskey of the month segment all here on Casual Swinger, we've heard a lot of questions come from people like, what does this mean? What does that mean? And, and a lot of these things are marketing. But some of these things are, are fairly legitimate. So I thought we might go through a couple of these and get your take on one of them. I'm going to start with one that's incredibly popular that makes a bottle look very special. It's always put on in a diagonal way on the bottles. It's like, hey, bottled yep. in bond. And it's, you know, big, bold letters. What the fuck does bottled in bond mean? So the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897 was actually the first United States Consumer Protection Act. Uh, prior to that act being put in place, we'll just say that a lot of people were using additives to make bourbon or whiskey in general look that way. Like it could have been oil. People were putting formaldehyde. You could literally die from drinking whiskey. Dear because God. What, they were trying to wow. get it out as quickly as possible, and they were trying to really get people to buy it. And there was no control mechanism. So the Bottle and Bond Act was the first time that the federal government put guidelines and rules that had to be followed. The reason that it's so special is it's actually really difficult to make. So Bottled and Bond has to be the product of one distillation season. There's two in a year. It has to be by one distiller and in one distillery. So you have this complete control of the process. It has to be in a federally bonded warehouses. Every, for the most part, every whiskey out there in the distillery will have a bond label. Whistlepig has one that you can see in a lot of our pictures. And then on top of it, it has to be at least four years aged, and it has to be bottled at 100 proof. So all of those rules together are very, very strict guidelines that make it a little bit more difficult. It also, if you notice, a lot of them will just say bottled and bond and they don't have an age statement because you as a consumer will automatically know that that age is at least four years old. Um, if it has a higher age statement, it'll probably not have that on there as well. It'll just say aged over four years. Um, Pig has a bonded product. It's our Beyond Bonded line. Uh, we'll talk about that when we go over it later. But it's something as a distiller that they're extraordinarily proud of because they saw it from birth to release. Interesting. So I guess, is it a way of saying, if you say bottled and bond, that, that it's at least, I mean, not a uniform flavor per se, but a uniform quality? You it can count on at least... Quality some, control, yeah. yeah. Uh, within, that, within the scope of that brand, yes. It, it would definitely be the most controlled product. Um, from a flavor profile, though, again, that's all up to the individual. Right. And does that have anything to do with the finishing? No. Okay, good to know. What about uh, small batch? I have a few bottles that are, are kind of my favorite up there, and they say small batch, but I don't actually know what that means. I'm going to be perfectly honest. So Whistle Pig 10-year is now small batch, so I've learned a lot about this. Um, sm <laughs> small batch just means uh, there's actually no real true guideline to it. So small batch means taking a couple of barrels, blending it together to get to a specific blended profile. Um, and you're blending, rye, you're blending straight rye whiskeys together to get to that flavor. Now, it could be five barrels. It could be 50 barrels. It could be whatever the brand itself considers small batch. Um, it's more of a marketing ploy in that way. There isn't actually any standard guideline for it. Ah, oh, they got me. <laughs> 
And, and that would, I think that probably falls under marketing terms, right? It's, I mean, you might have 5,000 barrels. You can yeah. still call it small batch if you normally do 10,000 barrel runs. Yeah, that yeah. would be a probably fair assessment of that. Right, because, yeah. I mean, it's comparative to what you normally do. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's the, the blending of barrels to get to a flavor profile has been being done for hundreds of years. Like a lot of the scotches in the world have always done that. The McAllen's of the world. Like you blend to something that is familiar so that when you're trying it in Florida and you're trying it in San Francisco or you're trying it in England, you're getting the same product. Yeah, that's awesome. fair. So would it be, what about barrel proof? Would that be closer to the bottled and bond or the small batch? Is that actually a thing? Is it a and measurable quantity? So barrel yeah. proof and cast strength are the same. Okay. Um, that that's a that's an actual phrase that means that whatever you're getting in that bottle is what the barrel actually yielded. So if the barrel is 110 proof, that bottle will be 110 proof. So that's where that barrel proof or cask strength, cask and barrel are interchangeable in marketing terms. Okay, so if you, I mean, would it be standard reason then that barrel proof or cast strength whiskey is going to be a little more expensive because you can't get as much out of a barrel since you're not watering it down. Uh, it could be. It's not. There's no actual truth to that. That's really up to the brands themselves. Um, cask strength can give you more, can give you less. Um, most of the time, barrel strength is going to be more expensive, at least in our world, because we have less of those barrels. And you have to imagine if we're selling you a whole barrel of whiskey, that's not whiskey that we can actually sell out on the general market at 100 proof. So, oh, wait, I have one more thing. Oh. Cask strength and barrel proof doesn't mean that it has to be overproof either. So overproof would be anything over 100. You can have casks that come in underproof. We definitely have some 92s to 100s available in Florida. Really? And, I mean, is that just a function, again, that it'll, I mean, you go as the barrel goes, right? Mm -hmm. So the wood makes the rules, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just the aging process. When we when we proof it out, that's what you get. Awesome. So does it make a difference? And, you know, I've bought a bunch of pseudo-empty whiskey barrels that still had whiskey in them, like a little bit in the bottom. And so I've drained some of it out just to see, you know, what's in the juice, right? And in the bottom of those barrels is mostly chunks of charcoal. <laughs> it's just shit mm, in the bottom delicious. of the barrel. That's gross. Yeah. And so when I see some of these whiskeys out there that advertise themselves as unfiltered, I'm like, ugh. <laughs> like, so what does it mean for a whiskey to be unfiltered? So unfiltering really is about the chill filter process, um, not necessarily the filtering of the actual soot in the bottom of the barrel. That's pretty weird that those are in there. Those should always, those are just regular filtering. Um, chill filtering is used to actually reduce the cloudiness in the glass um, a long time ago, and it, this is very popular in chemical engineering, Americans were not very good with cloudy. Cloudy seemed to d make it seem as if it was a less qualified product. I'm going to go with Oregon Trail dysentery. That's where <laughs> I went with cloudy liquids. So. I died that yeah. way yeah. every time. Um, cloudy was just something that, that mentally made people think that it was an inferior product. Uh, so cold filter, uh, filtering, well, chill filtering will actually extract that cloudiness. Um, it's not very popular in the United States. Some use it, some like the, some unfiltered exist. It's more popular in scotch. Uh, do I think it makes a difference? It's really, again, up to personal palate. Um, personally, for me, no. But a lot of people swear by it, a lot of don't. It's one of those hit or miss whether you like it or not. Now, what about weeded? So this is something that, you know, I, I'm not educated on uh, personally. Um, and weeded like um, the Weller Reserve. Is that appreciably different than the, the rye or the bourbon? So if we're talking, so a lot, if it says weeded, it's more likely a weeded bourbon. Okay. Um, so when they use the term weeded, it means that the mash bill has a high wheat content, mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's greater than that 51% to become something else. So a weeded bourbon, you can have weeded rye. What that just means is it's a higher level in the mash bill. Now, wheat whiskey would mean that it would have more than 51% wheat, which knocks you out of the bourbon and the rye category, and then it becomes a wheat whiskey. 
Okay. Well, yeah, and there's a lot of weeded whiskeys out there these days. Like actually, uh, one of our whiskeys of the month recently is a weeded, and that is Bladen Bow. Oh, yep. so that was a high wheat content as well. Weed? Uh, that is that what you just said? Yeah, weeded, like Will Wheaton. Wheated. Wheated. It's a wheated whiskey. But uh, let's talk a little bit about aging because you mentioned that and how you know the wood makes the rules and the barrel sets the story and all that good stuff. So something else that seems to be prominently displayed on a lot of bottles that I see is the age. Now some have it, some don't have anything at all. Uh, a couple of you know just examples that come to mind for me are things like piggyback, which is where we'll start with you guys, and that's your at this point, as far as I know, your your lowest end or lowest cost whiskey. Entry level, sir. Entry level. Least expensive. Least expensive, but most value. <laughs> Uh, no, but when we talk about things like piggyback, you know, that that's labeled as a six year, but it's really not. It's a blend that could be as much as eight years. Mm-hmm. So it's somewhere in the seven year, but you just put six year on the label because it's probably the least of what it could be. We've got things like farm stock. You've got things like your 10 year that we've talked about already. 12 year, which is the old world. 15 year, 18 year, boss hog, road stock. I mean, you got all, Jesus Christ, lady. First of all, how do you keep up with all this shit? And second of all, what do all these age statements mean to the whiskey? So the age statement in general on any bottle means that that's the minimum age of the distillate in that bottle. So you can have a 15-year distillate in a 10-year bottle if there's 10, like as long as that's not just 15-year. Age statements must be hard. So you can't have, if I have a 10-year bottle, I can't have eight-year in it. Uh, That would would be a lie. That goes back to that labeling that I was talking about with TTB. now, farm stock is the reason that that doesn't have an age statement is because it's a blend of three different age statements. So if you actually turn the bottle around, the mash bill is back there and it's a blend between a three-year and a 10-year whiskey. Um, a lot of the age statements are important because it lets you as the consumer know that that's how long it's actually been sitting in the original barrel. Um, the secondary finishing and all that is a different label altogether. But age statements are, a lo- some people just love older whiskey. Doesn't necessarily mean it's better, just means it's older. Um, and some people just really, they get, they get drawn to things that have labels on it. I know someone whose favorite number is 15. So as long as a barrel says a 15 on it, they're buying it. So it goes back to that. That's an expensive choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why didn't they have a three as their favorite number? That would have saved them a shitload of money. All right. Well, anyway, uh, so when we talk about age statements and we talk about how long it spends in the barrel and obviously you're wildly different from bottle to bottle. I'm going to ask you a question I already know the answer to because I want our listeners to hear it and they can hear it from you because you're hotter than me. So that's not hard to do, folks. (laughs) Still. Yeah, believe me, everyone in this room is hotter than me right now. It's it's just the way it is. But back... (laughs) Right. (laughs) I was told I have a face for radio. It's all good. Yeah, you and I both. But lots of folks hang on to bottles forever. And on the secondary market, a lot of times you'll see bottles, you know, this is my grandfather's bottle or I got it from an estate and I've got this bottle of Eagle Rare that dates back to 1902 or whatever. No, it's like 1970s. That's when it came out. But anyway, the, the point is they've got these old ass bottles, these old ass labels, and they start asking questions about does the whiskey profile change in the bottle? versus when it was aged. So let's say that you get a 10-year and it sits around for 20 years on a bottle and never gets open. Does anything happen to it or is it still the same shit as the day you got it? So the proper answer to this would be no Mm -hmm. um, if it is sealed properly. Now, the issue with that is that a lot of the sealing that's done is being used with corks. So if it's not stored properly, the cork could probably shrink or corrode or disintegrate. Um, The thing that would change the flavor profile would be the oxidation. 
So if it's been sitting out for a long time and it's been sitting in an environment that maybe there's some more moisture or there's too much air, that moisture content as it builds up will actually reduce the con. It'll make the flavor profile different. Um, but if it's sealed properly and it's stored properly, then it shouldn't change the flavor. Can you define sealed properly and stored properly for our listeners? Please? Not really. Uh, unfortunately, sealed <laughs> properly means that it does not allow any air in or any type of corrosion. Uh, most of the time, it would have to probably be in a basement, which obviously is not a Florida thing. Um, kind of like sealing wine, same thing. You want to make sure that it's it's been sitting there where it's not actually going to have something happen. Keep it cool out of the sun. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking it's probably keep akin it, to storing. Keep like, it vertical. Yeah, keep it oh, vertical. Oh, really? Because red wine, don't you lay um, horizontal, right? Yeah, but you don't want the corks properly. to dry out. Yeah. 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 Okay, good to know. So we're seeing tons of whiskey from like all over the world, even more so than, than usual, maybe, you know, 10 years ago, at least for us, you know, and that could just be a perception things because we're, we're actually actively looking for it now. Um, are there any hallmarks or major differences with things like iris whiskey or scotch whiskey or you mentioned uh, the japanese blend canadian i mean is there anything else taiwanese martian i mean right. <laughs> what are the differences what between do they make these, on jupiter these, these identifiers so country of origin is very important in the whiskey market um, and part of that the rules of the different countries are uh, permanent now taiwan doesn't currently have any rules uh, taiwan as long as it's bottled in taiwan it can be taiwanese uh Jap japan japan just brought out the rules in 2020 so before uh -huh. that, it was same as long as it was bought. It was denationalized whiskey that was aged, finished, bottled in Japan. Um, but when you come to when you're talking about Irish or, or Scotch or Canadian or even American for bourbon, mm -hmm. those rules are, again, consumer protection. That means that you as a consumer know what goes behind making that the distillation processes, the grain used and what those countries of origin have chosen to do. Um, even within those realms themselves, there's some specific rules, but. If it says that it's an Irish whiskey, it must follow the rules of being an Irish whiskey. If it's a scotch, if it's Canadian, they make some of the best ryes. I know. Uh, <laughs> they have certain rules and regulations behind it as well. So it does change, and it changes the flavor profiles as well. Yeah, so it, I'm just kind of looking at Is it just in Asia, They just is their motto, I do what I want? <laughs> like just like, okay what's no really rules. funny is the asian market is actually the largest whiskey market what yeah they drink a ton of whiskey in the 1980s when we were not drinking whiskey here all the best american bourbons were getting shipped to japan uh, honestly if you can find yourself uh late 80s four roses out in japan it's probably gonna be one of the best whiskeys that you've ever had um they are huge consumers but they just again america they don't have oak <laughs> so uh, they got to get it from they, us. So, so kind of in that in that process, they're finding out the rules. Also, it wasn't that big of a sell. They would buy the whiskey, but making the whiskey distillation was not something that they were really familiar with. They they do a lot of soshu in uh, soshu soju, a lot of um, umeshu in Japan. You have a lot of the sake. So, just different distillation processes that didn't lend itself towards whiskey. <laughs> I'm, I'm consistently fascinated by the shit that bangs around in your head. I know, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's one of those things, and I mean, I've known this girl for a while, folks, and I'm still impressed by some of the shit that comes out of her mouth, but all right, so I, I can't bring myself to try peanut butter whiskey, just so you know, but I really got to know, what the fuck is up with all the flavored whiskeys out there these days? Are any of them any good, and do you have a favorite? Loaded question. One. That is so good. Um, <laughs> So flavored whiskey follows all trends, just like we had flavored vodka. Um, There are re uses for it. They're great modifiers at times, like if you want to I mean, a peanut butter old fashioned is a thing. Uh, there's also, we have, uh, my favorite brand would probably be Whiskey Smith, which is by Old Elk. 
Um, they have a full line. They have like Salerno, Blood Orange, uh, what else? The chocolate, pineapple, banana, just a whole line, which can also take like, let's say you like tiki drinks, but you don't want rum and all that. That's you just me use, right here, yeah. You use whiskey. Um, it also helps to kind of challenge your palate. Like any way that we can get people drinking whiskey, eventually they move into the other whiskeys. As your palate changes, as you get older and you're looking for more complexity, maybe you start with the peanut butter whiskey craze or fireball for that matter. And then you move. Everyone starts with fireball. I didn't start with fire. I did not. Mine was wild turkey and ah. I've, I've never been back, but then I re reintroduced myself with the honey whiskeys. Yeah. Oh, honey whiskeys. Yeah. Very and a lot of it is that again, the American palate tends towards sweeter and becomes savory as you start drinking more whiskey. So if your entry level is a peanut butter whiskey or a banana whiskey or a daiquiri made with whiskey, then either which way we're, we're still getting you to drink whiskey and we're starting to challenge you. I know. And now I got to try the Old Elk flavored whiskey now. Well, I, heard, people, I heard pineapple and chocolate and I'm sold. Right. Yeah. Well, a lot of people that, that come here to the casual bar know that Old Elk is probably hands down my second favorite whiskey. So they, they've got a yeah. hell of a shelf going. It's the second most populated shelf in our bar. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. As far as diversity and quantity goes, because that's a that's an old that's a faithful mm -hmm. that one. Well, I know it's day? good. So I buy it. Yeah. Like, ha had a good day. Having a glass of that. Having yeah. a bad day. I'm going to have a glass of that. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say probably Widow Jane is the third most populated shelf here in the house. Yeah, you're welcome. I drink out of the Hudson. What do you want? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, so we get a lot of questions from our listeners that tell us, uh, you know, there are a lot of new whiskey drinkers out there and they're trying to introduce themselves, you know, to it as a whole. Um, do you have any recommendations for someone trying whiskey for the first time? Like where, where should they start? So liquid to lips, as we say, is the most important way to start learning well, about that's whiskey. That's a sexy way to put it. I'm just saying. Anything with lips. <laughs> the, I like it. The truth of the matter is, is try as many whiskeys as you can. Um, the easiest entryway is in cocktails. Uh, cocktails are a good way to try whiskey and maybe not be too invested in what you're trying. Old fashioned being one of the most popular ones. Me personally, I like to do strange cocktails if I'm going to do cocktails. Oh, my, yeah? my favorite cocktail is everyone in Florida knows is the French 95 or the I 75. Told you that. Okay. I could have told you that. I knew that answer. And that's, that's what, like whiskey and champagne or whiskey yeah, and Yeah, whiskey, what? champagne. You can sometimes add orange, lemon. It's, it's a different citrus, but I like bubbles. So yeah. bubbles and whiskey on a Sunday. Nobody judges you. Um, I would say that cocktails are the easiest way. If not, it's go to whiskey tastings. Try as many whiskeys as you can. You're not obligated to finish said whiskey if you don't like it. We don't get insulted by that. Everybody has a different palate. Mm -hmm. Some people may love Jack Daniels. Some people may love scotch. Like I like ultra-peated scotches. Um, people don't, some people don't like rye. It's really personal. And I would recommend that you do it often because your, your palate changes depending on what you eat and what you're doing at that point or, or just your, light, your lifestyle at that time. So Go to as many whiskey tastings as you can. If you have a, if you're in a state where you're allowed to crack open a bottle at the retailer, definitely sample, try it if they allow you to do that as often as possible. Yeah, I would actually seek out maybe places that offer those flights, like you said, or, or tasting, you know, events uh, locally at some bars. And you might that might have actually answered my next question if you don't mind me interjecting. Oh, here. Go right ahead. Because for like sure, the sure novice too. folks, like I had trouble identifying uh, descriptive notes that related to my palate that could be tough, you know, especially when you're like, you're reading descriptions because I do a lot of research online. Um, and it's so hard to ass assign that description to the flavor like weeded, for example, or smoky. Those those notes or identifying those until I had them, I couldn't relate it to. Um, are there any simple notes or profiles for the new whiskey drinker 
uh, to start with, like maybe sweet or hot? Like how, how would you help them relate the description to the actual taste? Uh, so palates are all individualized. What I like to tell everyone is that what you taste is right. It's never wrong. So if you taste your grandmother's butter pecan ice cream, then you are correct whether it's in there or not, because taste has a lot to do with memory. So if you have no concept of what that taste should be, you will have no recollection of what you're looking for. Yeah. I was allergic to nuts for a really long time. And when someone would say like, oh my God, this tastes like walnut. I'm like, I have no idea what walnut tastes like. So let me keep going through this until I can find something that relates. Um, standard tasting notes in whiskey, which you'll hear all the time, are going to be caramel, butterscotch. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about rye, it'll be like winter spices, clove, cardamom, which most people have no idea what actual cardamom tastes like. Do yourself a favor, go into your spice like room and taste all these spices, rub them between your hands, smell them, put them on the tip. The more flavors that you taste, the more food that you eat, different type of international foods that you eat will give you a better sense of those words that we're looking for. I thought cardamom was a sweater. <laughs> Cardigan. Oh, honey. Sorry. Good but, thing you're cute. And a lot of the times it's very personalized. My distillers and I will sit down and talk a lot about tasting notes because they may get something different than I do, but I want to make sure that my tasting notes are very colloquial. So when I'm talking to somebody who's a novice or even an expert, I'm triggering muscle memory for them so they can figure out, oh yeah, you're right. This is what I'm getting. But also you have to understand my job is to sell you whiskey. So I'm also leading you down a path that will bring you that positive experience and that positive experience will make you do that. In all fairness, your personal palate is always right no matter what it is. I love that. I feel very confident in my palate now. Like I just right. got a little like therapy and ego like, boost. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that you talk about that though because I know we talked about flavored whiskeys a little bit, but I think some whiskeys are a little bit of a shocker I mean, even though maybe they're labeled a good example would be high west campfire or smoke wagon out of vegas uh when you talk about some of those whiskeys they taste like a fucking ashtray <laughs> i mean i hate them i, I they're disgusting to me but, but some people love but them it, some people smoky old-fashioned before we had the little oh my gosh what's it called the thing that makes a fire that you're not allowed to play with um, love that thing though. it's a blowtorch it's a, a little blowtorch with yeah. the, the wood chips yeah it's a wood chip thingy and it, that's really cool to smoke the old fashioned I, I i love that flavor profile of that but those uh, those whiskeys on their own i would never touch because it's not something i like but in that cocktail i loved it's just your palate yeah. um, a lot of the times those those were kind of capturing more of the peated scotch market um, if you like peated scotches, you're probably going to lend yourself toward more towards those, the campfires of the world. Um, I personally love ultra peated scotches, love them up to death. So for me, I would have enjoyed it, but it's a learning curve. Um, a lot of people, when they taste peat, they think of like Band-Aid, old school Band-Aids, or some people say it tastes like tar, which by the way, who's licking a driveway? Um, or ashtrays. You can actually yeah. grow into it. So yeah. as you age, your palate changes. And a lot of the times people run into starting to drink those more peaty or smokier whiskeys as they move out of the rye. So it normally goes Irish bourbon, rye, and then into scotch. And then even within all of those realms, like you go from sweet to savory and backwards. Hmm. Well, if you had to pick, this is going to ask, I'm asking you for an opinion, and I'm sure the answer is going to be a whistle pig, but it's okay. <laughs> so there's listeners out here who have listened to our Whiskey of the Month, and they're like, okay, maybe they'll go out and try it, and maybe they like it, maybe they didn't. Uh, and again, you know, it's I, I love what you said about your, your taste is always right, right? Your lips don't lie. And... I think that's kind of akin to what my favorite Irish bartender in New York City told me when I apologized for the way that I drank the whiskey he gave me. 
He said, it's not my fucking drink. I can't do it with an Irish accent. Even my life depended on it. Yeah, please He's don't. like, it's yours. So if you like it that way, drink it that way. I'm just a bartender. And so what I'm going to ask is for my listeners out there that have not really dabbled in whiskey, what recommendation could you give them? Go out and buy a bottle and try this, right? And, and because it's good, it may not be great for you, but you know at least it's of great quality. Uh, that won't necessarily break the bank. Obviously, don't send them out for Boss Hog because then they're just going to be like, yeah, fuck you, Ingrid. But if you had to recommend something to start with under 100 bucks, what would it be? Got to say piggyback. In all fairness, I love my products. But I would say, actually, don't go out and buy a bottle. Um, go to your local restaurant or bar and order a drink, uh, either a cocktail or order it neat. Don't spend all that money on a bottle if you're not sure that you're going to drink that bottle. Um, definitely try to taste as many as you can before. It'll be much cheaper to buy a shot of a whiskey than it would be to buy that bottle. But as you get into it, a lot of the time people like to start with the softer of the bourbon lines. So feel free to definitely indulge in those, even Jack Daniels, Tennessee whiskey, Jack or a Dickel or have fun with the Maker's Mark. And then as your palate, feel free to try the rise, whether it's piggyback. Um, we like the Sagamore line. Learn where your palate falls. And then once you find it, then start looking more in depth in that, whether it's the individual company itself or just the market share. Now, I'd say that most people who really, when they drink bourbon and they think it's too sweet, you're more than probably a rye drinker. Um, so to have that opportunity, definitely piggyback is a great entry point forever. We also just launched an Irish whiskey. So Limavati is a really good entry point as well into that Irish whiskey space. Um, and don't get discouraged. A lot of the time people think that you're supposed to know a lot about whiskey. No, it's whatever you get out of it. And in all fairness, if you don't like whiskey, it's also okay. I might judge you, but my opinion doesn't <laughs> really matter. Yeah. So let's turn that around then. How about a whiskey cocktail for a new whiskey drinker? Would you suggest mm. one of those? And yeah, I know you know that, some bartenders. Yeah, because at French 95, like my instincts are like beer before liquor, bubbles and, and whiskey. I've, I've always been a little confused by that one. But I know I'll, what I'll have to I try recommend it someday. New, new ones. I know what I tell them, but I want to know what you think. So the easiest cocktail for people to get into whiskey is the old fashioned because it's the simplest cocktail and it's very mm -hmm. pure and it's, it's very clean. Um, a Manhattan would also be good if they're on the sweeter side of the palate. Uh, I personally like sours, I think are great um, because you can also do like a New York sour where you're adding wine to that. Oh, really? It's very exciting. Yeah. Um, but also for instance, uh, you can play with it. A Bloody Mary with a rye whiskey is delicious. The French 95, one of the reasons that that's very palatable is because the bubbles are really the overhancing flavor profile in that oh, and, okay. and a lot of that little citrus kick um it's not your your body doesn't get like oh my god all i got is whiskey in this um but also a paloma which is really grapefruit forward is an easy way to get into it as long as Ooh. the grapefruit doesn't interfere with any of your medicines um a paloma is a really good way of, of getting into whiskey and kind of challenging yourself to try something different i love that that is absolutely that's incredible. great advice well, before we jump out of here with Ingrid, first thing I want to do is thank you for joining us here in the Casual Swinger Studios for talking about whiskey. The traveling whiskey fairy lived up to her name and brought her ass all the way to Orlando Yay. to talk to us today. We're so lucky. Uh, we appreciate that very much. So thank you, Ingrid, for joining us. And thank you to Whistle Pig Rye Whiskey for letting her come on to our show today and talk to all of you. I know there's a lot of brands out there that don't have the balls to talk to you guys and, you know, join an event like ours. But I think hopefully this was what you thought it was going to be today and was certainly a service to those of you out there that are interested in or getting in to uh, what I would consider high-end whiskey. Well, thank you for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. 
And uh, I used to be told that I have balls the size of Nebraska, so it works out pretty well. <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> I believe it. That's I love awesome. It. <laughs> now, one more thing before I turn this thing over to Mallory and let her tell you guys how to find us. We got a surprise for you guys. We talked about it a little bit in the lead-in. Make sure to check out casualswinger.com here in the next couple of weeks. We are going to be launching our first virtual mixology event where you're going to be able to hear, see, and taste a instructor bartender teaching you guys how to make some of these cocktails we talked about right here today so that's coming your way it's an event this is the first time we've talked about it here on the show but we finally got our bartender figured out we got our stuff figured out so we're going to be launching a virtual mixology event for you guys in march so stay tuned and check it out on casualswinger.com we'll have that landing page up for you in the meantime, Mallory, you want to do the thing? I can totally do the thing. Well, we'll come obviously, back with whiskey of the month. <laughs> Let's do it. So you can find a Casual Swinger everywhere, right? We are casualswinger.com. You can reach out to us, podcast at casualswinger.com if you have questions or just want to thank us. You can also write reviews on iTunes. We love that. Come on, I'm a girl. I love affirmations. Um, we are on social media. That's Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. And you can find us on the dating sites, which is Double Date Nation, SDC, SLS, and Cassidy. There it is. She's so good at it. We'll be back in just a hot second with one more January Whiskey of the Month. I bet you guys can't guess who the brand's going to be. We'll be back in just a second. You've been listening to Casual Swinger. Welcome back to Casual Swinger. Hey, you got it right that time. I did. I was going to say, welcome aboard. <laughs> All aboard, Mallory. <laughs> Sorry. So I have everybody the, line up and board I Mallory. I apologize. I have the giggles tonight. I don't you know really what's do. going on. I'm totally sober. That's all right. Well, hey, so. guys, it's time for Whiskey of the Month. But before we dig into that, I want to throw something down. This is where you guys are going to save some serious coin. I don't know if it's serious coin. It really depends on your perspective. But I'm really excited about it. And I'm very thankful to Ingrid and the team at Whistle Pig Whiskey, which you just heard from in the main segment. Tell them what they're saving, Mel. They're saving $10 off their purchase at whistlepigwhiskey.com. That's right. All you have to do is use code CASUAL2022. That is CASUAL2022 at checkout. And just be sure that you live in a state that can have alcohol shipped to you. That That's is, right. That is caveat. Yeah. But yeah, you can get $10 off if you order direct from Whistlepig at whistlepigwhiskey.com with code CASUAL2022. Now. Thank you, Traveling Whiskey Fairy. It's time. Candy is dandy, but whiskey makes you frisky. For whiskey of the month. Bum, bum, bum. What's it going to be? January, the first whiskey of the month for 2022. I know this is going to come as a major shock to all of you after what you just listened to, but it is Whistle Pig Piggyback, which is a six-year rye. Yes, and this is a great rye whiskey and it's going to be very versatile in your bar especially in reference to cocktails it was actually designed for cocktails so we're going to talk about this a little bit but it's really hard to talk about whistle pig and really not talk about dave pickerel yeah we need a little ode to dave pickerel here just a little bit yes. so before his untimely passing in 2018 master distiller dave pickerel had a dream of creating an aged rye whiskey specifically for use in cocktails the end result was piggyback rye which according to the company is a nod by Pickerel to his love and respect for the bartending community. In fact, the company designed the bottle for ease of handling by bartenders. Whistle Pig Piggyback is unique for some pretty cool reasons. Okay, so we'll start with it's 100% rye aged in chardo barrels. It's also a blend of ryes, which is kind of a misnomer. 
but between six and eight years are the rise in that bottle, making it an average of 7.25 years. Yeah, and this is actually really cool. So it's marketed as a distiller's strength at 96.56 proof exactly. And why is that? Well, super cool. I love this. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, so according to Peter, uh, Pete Lynch, he's a former master distiller, the piggyback is 96.56 proof, and that's a nod to 56, which is Dave's birth year. The piggyback was designed for that versatility. Yeah, you know, I got to point out real quick, how cool is it that Dave Pickerel designed this whiskey as an ode to bartenders, and the yeah. bottle itself yeah. became an ode to Dave? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I mean, I love whiskey with a good so, story, and, like, that's awesome. So explain why the bottle is an ode to Dave now. Well, so first of all, most importantly, the bottle was designed for bartenders, right? Uh, Dave Pickerel's name is on the bottle, yes. but also the 1956 is his birth year. Yes. So it had to be of a certain quality, right? And that 96.56 is an ode to 1956, which is his birth year. So uh-huh. it just really kind of jumps out at him. and. You know, that 97 proof is known as the ideal proof for highball glasses without overpowering a drink. I learned that. I didn't know that. And it actually does. It's very well balanced. Very well balanced for this. But another reason that it's an ode. Um, oh, yeah. You know, his Pickerel's vision uh, was an odd, like you said, to the bartending community. Um, and the tradition, uh, the traditional whistle pig, uh, pig wearing a top hat is oh, yeah. now gone. It's gone. That's Instead, right. Instead, it's been replaced with one wearing a Stetson hat, which was one of Dave's like markers. That's another yeah. one. That's exactly right. Now, something interesting that a lot of people don't know is that Dave had a pet pig. Dave's <laughs> pet pig's name was Mauve. <laughs> their last, uh, their last boss hog prior to his death was the spirit, spirit of, of Mauve. Yeah. Which was that. his pig. Uh-huh. So there's so many homage and, and just kind of odes to different things in Whistle Pig. But yeah, that's right. There's no top hat on the pig. Uh, it has a Stetson hat instead, which is a big deal. I, I just think that's super cool. And the dates 1956 to 2018 are on the neck wrapper for the bottle, which is a nod to his birth and his death year. And, you know, I know... Maybe that's a little macabre for some people, but I actually really love how personal they made it because Dave was very personal with his whiskey. He was very intentional in what he did. Yeah, I only got to meet Dave once or twice, and both times he he treated me like I was the only person in the room. He was really, really Which is, good about like talking about whiskey, and he loved to talk about it with other people that loved it. Yeah, and it's funny because that's something you do very well. As well. I so. appreciated it, so maybe that's why I appreciated it. But I, I really thought it was cool. So, Whistle Pig Piggyback is an impressive rye in and of itself, and it stands out in a sea of very impressive ryes. I'm a rye guy. If you take away the fact that this is one of Dave Pickerel's last creations for the company, you are still left with a well-rounded and easy-sipping rye. It, develop, it really gives you a sweet and spicy flavor combination with a touch of earthiness that rye lovers will easily gravitate toward. You all right over there? Not to hiccup ups all of a sudden. <laughs> all right, hey, you lush. Hey, I'm not even drinking. It's I fucking know. dry January. This sucks. <laughs> Poor baby. So, uh, as with last month's Whiskey of the Month, this bottle obviously tells one hell of a story here. And even if the story isn't the rye itself, but equal parts, it's creator. So the fact that Dave really wanted to give it tribute to the bartending community, and in turn, the bottle has ended up being a tribute to him. 
um, in return really shows the passion that the creators and the brands each have for their product. That's true. In their review, Breaking Bourbon said, in the end, maybe Piggyback does succeed in its aim as a cocktail rye. Not specifically from its flavor profile, but from the fact that it helps tell a good story. And with any great cocktail, a good story is just as important as what's being used to create the actual cocktail in the glass. Let's talk a little bit about what some of the details are in Piggyback. Okay, so from a visual, or eye, um, the, it's, a, it's a light copper it's color. It's kind of a light color mm-hmm. whiskey, that's yep. true. On the nose, um, you actually get a copper, um, fresh rye bread, cinnamon, spice, caramel, orchard fruit, uh, like apples, grainy, and uh, a bit of bergamot. Yeah, and you know, something that, that Ingrid pointed out when we recorded with her, and I really thought was kind of brilliant, whatever it, whatever you taste in your whiskey. It's right. You're right. Yes. Right, whatever you that. smell, whatever the eye is, whatever the nose is, you're right. It's that's exactly what it is. Well, and you know, I, I I absolutely love that because humans are relevant people, like I like to say. So You're relational. Relational, yeah. That's what I say. Relevant. So we're not relevant. We are irrelevant. <laughs> hey, you <laughs> fucked with me, so I'm just taking it back out on you. <laughs> no, totally deserved. Touche. Relational people. So uh, my my you know um, key or legend may be different than yours. Yeah, that's right. And yes. so for a palate, whistle pig piggyback. Your palate's going to pick up some rye bread. Shocker, it's all 100% rye. Butterscotch, cinnamon, raspberry candy, oak, fruit, spice, and even some citrus. Uh, on the finish, um, it's going to be medium to long. Uh, sweetness, rye spice, copper, and oak. So definitely more earthy. So piggyback is a very balanced whiskey with a medium to full body and a bit of a velvety feel. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, from price, I mean, hey, as price always, point, yeah, always fifty bucks. Forty nine ninety nine, yeah. baby, for whiskey of the month. Now, here's the thing: that'll only set you back thirty nine ninety nine. If you want to try piggyback, don't forget to use the code. And by the way, we don't get shit out of this, and we don't yeah. want anything out of it. This is just for you. Ten bucks off, mm-hmm. casual twenty twenty two. You can get your piggyback for thirty nine ninety nine plus shipping. Yeah, I recommend um, on the sweet side of Manhattan with us or if you're into a traditional like real legit whiskey sour it's a it's a great whiskey for that and there it is that is whiskey of the month the whiskey of the month this month as a reminder one more time is whistle pig piggyback and a big thank you to the team at whistle pig whiskey their marketing department and of course the traveling whiskey fairy herself indra ingrid rodriguez yay why I almost messed up her name. I've it's her okay. Like I years. said relevant. I know. There we go. <laughs> we're just we're limping along here. All right, Mel. Tell these folks goodbye. Bye, guys. Thanks for joining us. That's right, folks. We'll be back, back to, in a couple of weeks. Back to swinger shit next time. More swinger shit. That's right. <laughs> we haven't. We this was a shit show, and we didn't drink any whiskey. I know. What a joke. Hey, That's it was right. that was really painful. So all this talk about whiskey and not being able to drink. It was. But don't worry. Us. The drunks will be back next time oh, you hear from us. Next episode, we're drinking. 100%. For sure. All right, folks, that's enough out of us. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to Casual Swingers.